Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Well, here we go, guys. We're going to jump in uh, to the Word this morning. Uh, Last week... Uh, if you were here and if you weren't here, um, I highly recommend you listen to it. Um, one of my favorite, I think I said last week I preached it in 2018, 2020. And again, last week, um, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh. And he asked God to remove it. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I think we need to be reminded um, that it isn't our strength that frees us. It's our weakness. It's our acknowledgement that we are unable to do or unable to do the things that are necessary for us to be who God's called us to be. It's his work. And as we release ourselves to this false facade of being strong, presenting ourselves as strong, and acknowledging our weakness before the one person who gives us strength, we get to walk in his power. Today, I want to continue in that vein. I have a question for you, and uh, most of the questions, unless I make it real clear, um, they're all internal. (laughs) So you don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to elbow anybody next to you. Um, You don't have to cut eyes at your spouse or anything. But is it a weakness to ask for help? Okay, you don't have to say anything, just internally. And that whistle is not the Holy Spirit. It's just a faulty AC system where it catches um, it's anyway, um, I'm going to miss it when we don't have that, you know, like, um, whenever we build a building, we'll make sure that it does the same thing. So it'll feel like home, <laughs> but is it weakness to ask for help? And I don't know if this is a guy thing or if it's a me thing, but like, I don't really like it. I don't, I don't like asking for help. I will try to pick up something I shouldn't pick up by myself. I will try to do something that I shouldn't do by myself because Part of it is I'm a little concerned that they might say no or be unwilling to help or they're just might not, they might not even be able to do the thing that I need them to do. Don't even get me started about asking for directions. I think the Lord that in the last 10 years of my marriage, God has given us GPSs on our phone. Cause like I have a horrible sense of direction. My wife can go one place one time. And go there a hundred times after that and never miss a turn. I can. I have a part-time job I do on Monday where I deliver stuff. I can deliver on the, I can be going to this place using GPS and forget how to get out of the neighborhood. I just went. I mean, like it's two or three turns. I'll come to the stop sign. The first one, I'll be like, did I, did I, did, did I turn in this way? But I don't, I don't like asking for help. And some of it's, I don't like, I dislike looking weak, stupid, or just old lost. Today we're going to tackle this problem. A big part of prayer is asking for help. What if I said the state of your prayer life reflects directly your relationship with God? Because it does. I, I, I... I don't think, I'm going to be confident here, you cannot have a good relationship with God and have a weak prayer life. Jesus, who was part of the Trinity, had a good prayer life. 
And if Jesus needed a good prayer life, he needed time away. He needed to connect with the Father, good gracious. So do you. And so do I. What if I told you that if you changed your prayer life, you could radically change the rest of your life? I I believe that prayer isn't about changing God. It's about changing you. Because the more you pray, the more you've got to realize the only reason you pray is because you're asking for something you can't do on your own. Because if you could do it on your own, you would have already done it and taken all the praise and glory for it, even though God gifted you and all these other things to make it possible. But when we come to these places of things that we can't do, that we need to see God work in, it is surrender on our part to go, God, I need your help. God, if you don't show up, it's not going to work. It's not. I love the one of the lines, and don't get me trying to remember lines, but it says, his word is final. And it is. The problem is, is we don't like to get to the place where we hear his final word. We... Don't, I, I'm going to confess my weak prayer life in just a minute, so don't feel like I'm sitting up here judging all you people who don't pray. But we, we have this way of going, hey, God, 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 I desperately need you to do this. And we say it one time, and then he doesn't do anything, and we feel like God doesn't love us. We feel like God's not there. But if we look at the stories with Jesus, he gives us two very clear ones about the persistent widow widow, and the friend going to his friend's house for bread at night. And they're on the cusp of talking. It's prayer. And it's this idea of persistence. It wasn't the unjust judge that feared God that I need to do this because God's going to get me. He got annoyed by that lady kept coming back. And he said, so she doesn't wear me down. I'm going to. I'm going to go in her favor. And same thing with the guy in the bed with his kids. We've already gone to sleep. I can't get you bread, but I'll tell you what. You keep on knocking on somebody's door, one of two things is going to happen nowadays. They're going to answer that door or the police are going to come. But if we want to change something in our life, it's going to have to start with prayer. And confession, um, I, am, I am not a gifted intercessor, meaning my brain doesn't think, pray first. It just doesn't. And so if you're hoping that God will give you this thing that will help you pray more, it's probably not going to happen. It's just going to be a determination on your end to pray more. Period. Prayer is something I have to think about. It's something that I have to set reminders on my phone. I literally have reminders that go off on my phone between 4.40. I get up early during the week. 4.40 and 4.45. I have two right now that go off, one at 4.40 and one at 4.45, and it remind me to pray for specific things. Why is it there? Because I'll get up at 4.40 in the morning, and I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just trying not to fall asleep before I go work out. So that couch sings my name. Come on, buddy. It's so warm. It's so nice. I have to set reminders. I love this. I found this quote. uh, Corey Ten Boone uh, mentioned um, her not too long ago, actually in a book she wrote called Hidden uh, Hidden Place. Um, But she has this quote on prayer. It says, is prayer our steering wheel or our spare tire? I did not write that. She did. 
But boy, is it true. And if we're going to confess properly, most of us, prayers are spare tire. Until we're running on a flat and we're stuck on the side of the road, we're not thinking, pray. But then when we get to that place and we need God, we cry out. And in that moment, we're like, why isn't he answering my prayer? We didn't talk to him forever. Let's tell you, if you, if you don't call somebody very often and they're not used to talking to you and you, you call them, they might not answer your phone call on the first go. Well, maybe if you haven't talked to them in a while, they're like, ooh, what is this about? But it's the same. We, we want to be in this place that it's not just something we're going to when we need him, but we want to be connected to the Father when we don't need him right now. Because that changes us so that we're ready when we do need him. So my one thing that I want you to hear today is I, I want today to start this ball rolling and this idea that we're going to let prayer be our steering wheel. Prayer drive us into healthy marriages. Prayer drive us into healthy relationships. Prayer drive us into being the people that God has made us to be. Because if you're just sitting there going, I want to be better. And you're not praying, you're not going to be better. Because prayer changes us. We're going to be in Philippians uh, 4. You can turn there. I'm going to pray before we get into the word because... Prayer works. Prayer is power. So let's ask God to speak through his word today. Lord, we're weak and you're strong. We need to hear your voice in our ears this morning. Lord, we, we want to hear your word, not as a condemnation, but as a conviction to know you and to love you and trust you more because your promises in our prayer life, are so much greater than having no prayer life at all. Change our hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray that today, at the end of this message, that we'll set things in place to intentionally pursue a life of prayer with you so that we would be steered into the direction of your kingdom by prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Philippians 4. And if you're a person that memorizes uh, Bible verses, there's a lot in um, Philippians 4. 4.13. Anybody? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And that, that, I mean, that's just at the end. We're not even get there because I'm only going through verse 10 today. But let me just give you a little background. So um, Philippians is written by Paul from prison, which is really important. So when you hear the first line that I'm going to read today, you have to understand he is writing this from prison, not in a prison that he's like in a holding cell and is going to get out in a day or two after he served his 30-day whatever. He's in prison potentially to be executed. Like that that's what's on the table. Imprisonment, possible execution. That's what's on the table. He is in prison. And he is writing a letter to the Philippians. Philippians, the Philippi, it was this um, basically kind of a, like a, a Roman outpost. A lot of retired soldiers had moved to this area. It was very patriotic um, place. They loved Rome because they're ex-soldiers. And the church began. Um, and there was persecution. All right, because they're going, Here, here's a new king. 
And it flowed against this patriotic side of things. Uh, and they didn't like it. And they were being persecuted. And he was writing this letter because they had sent someone with aid for him. Because in prison there, it's not like, hey, we're going to take care of you. And you're going to sit here and get three square meals and whatever. People had to provide your needs from outside. They, so they would bring stuff to him. And so one of the people that came there to bring a, uh, a present for him, to care for him while he's in prison, gets sick. And almost dies. And he doesn't die. And it is, and Paul's writing this letter with this guy coming back to tell the church to be strong. To, to be ready. To be prepared. That Jesus is worth it. And, and if you've not spent much time in Philippians, I encourage you. Um, if, if something that I preach sparks something in you and it's a piece of a bigger collection, I encourage you to read the collection. Because there's probably more in there for you. If there's something that kind of like, ooh, that's good. There's probably a lot more in that than just the six verses that we're going to read today. So let's start in verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's a continuous thing. It's not just like, hey, rejoice It's rejoice always, which is already a, hey, we need to do this always. Um, But in he says it again. Again, I say rejoice. And remember, this is Paul preaching from prison with the potential of being murdered for his faith in prison. This is a great reminder that is something that we need to be reminded of over and over again. And why do we rejoice? Some of you right now have things that it's very difficult in your life, that you have things going on in your life that it's very difficult to rejoice always. And reading this whole book would probably be really good for you, understanding this is written, this is kind of the joy book. It's written by a guy in prison that has nothing. A little bit later, which we're not going to read today, he says, I've learned to be content in all things. How can we rejoice? Because we understand what our end is. We understand who our champion is. We understand who our Savior is. We understand what our future is. Verse 5, it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word reasonableness is also translated, the same word uh, is also translated in other parts of the New Testament as gentleness. Church, are we known for our reasonableness? Are we known for our gentleness? Because what he's saying is this is what the world should see of us. And I, I truly believe that the only way the world's going to see this of us is if we pray. Because if we don't pray, we don't come face to face with the reality that we cannot, but he can. And when you face that enough, you live that. And our reasonable in gentleness isn't because the world deserves it. It's because we have seen it expressed to us through our Lord and Savior over and over again. So the reason why the world gets it isn't because they deserve it. It's because it's what Jesus did. And why should this be? And there, there's a little hitch point in the middle of these two verses, five and six. What's well, in the five, and, but it's going into six. And it says, the Lord is at hand. And there's, there, that's a deep end of the pool that I don't have 
the time, uh, listen to lots of things about that. You could literally, I could spend all day talking about what, what that implies. It's not my message today. Look it up. There's lots of great things. But the reason why is because we understand that the Lord is at hand, whether that is him returning, which I know you're like, oh, it's been thousands of years. Hey, a thousand years to God is but a what? A day. A thousand years to us is but a day to the Lord. So he is only sitting, God's been sitting around for two days. Not sitting around. I don't mean to be disrespectful. But... It's not, he's not slow in his returning. He has purpose in it. But we need to understand that his kingdom and he is at hand. And the reason why we're reasonable, the reason why we give our life to reflect him is because we understand that he is here, that he is present, that he is working, that he is at hand. See, the Lord is at hand also is the reason why we shouldn't, and we're getting ready, and I don't have time to talk about this word and all of its implications, but we're getting ready to talk about anxiety. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. But another reason why his next statement has validity is because the Lord is at hand. Verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Like that's a pill hard to swallow. I struggle with anxiety and anxiousness. Over here praying. Like, I understand. I know there's people in this room that anxiety is not an easy turn off, turn on. I understand that it is out of our control, which the beauty of this text is it absolutely is out of your control. And so what do you do with it? What do you do with this anxiousness that you cannot do anything about? So why should we not be anxious? Because we serve a sovereign God who is working everything out for the good of his children. And it's not always the easy way. Do not be misled by something you heard at one point, And I say this a ton at this church. That if you say yes to Jesus, get baptized in water on Sunday, raise your hand for worship. Your life is going to be easy and comfortable. Read the New Testament. Eleven of the disciples survived after Jesus' death. One of them took his own life, Judas, because of his betrayal. He couldn't handle it. Eleven were left. Ten of them died horrible deaths. Horrible deaths. And not just like, oh, this one day they got hit by a car. I'm talking about they suffered for the glory of the king. And the other one who didn't, which interesting dialogue between Peter when he didn't like when Jesus said, hey, this is how you're going to die. And he goes, what about that guy? He's talking about John. He was like, what about this guy? Well, that guy, he did not have an easy life. He was boiled in oil. He was throwing a stone. I mean, there was so many things that happened to him. It wasn't like, oh, man, I want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. You'd probably be rather dead than what John had to go through. These were the pillars of the first church. If God didn't save them from the calamity that goes on in our world, 
and he still loved them. He chose them. Then he still loves you in the middle of what's going on in your life. And what's going on in your life is not a reflection of his love for you. That's how we can understand this sovereign. And this is, this is the hard part. Because you have to trust what you may never see. You have to trust that what God is doing in you and through you is for your benefit. And for the benefit of those around you. And when we can see in this, I, I truly believe, prayer is what opens our eyes to see it. Because we get to declare it to him over and over again. I don't see it, but I trust you. I don't see it, but I trust you. I want to see it. So how do you deal with anxiety? You pray. And I know prayer, you know, prayer is like this. <laughs> I pray. <laughs> I pray. It's just this little pill that we're like, if we take it, oh, yeah, it's great. No, we, we, we continue to pray. Pray without ceasing. That's why Paul said this. See, we lay it down to God and we get him involved and him working and we work on trusting him with outcome. So then it says prayer and supplication. Okay, if you Google supplication, because it's not a word that we... I don't even know how to use it in a sentence. I'm not going to. I about tried to, and you're like, this guy's not smart. Okay. Uh, so supplication, this is the definition. Uh, the act of asking or begging. I corrected my, I messed up my notes I sent earlier. I had beefing. I misspelled begging. It just didn't catch it. But uh, the act of asking or begging for something earnestly and humbly. So he's saying pray, which is the general thing. But then he's saying ask. Ask. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock in the door and it will be open to you. He asked us to have faith like children. And I know this isn't universal, but for the most part. How many children have you interacted with that are afraid of asking for something over and 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 over again. They, because they know, hey, they might not do it, but if I keep asking, they'll ask. And, and when Jesus asks us to have faith like child, that's what he's talking about. We need to pray like this. We leave it up to God what he wants to do with our prayer. That's the hard part. But we ask and ask and ask and keep asking. James 2 says, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, and you fight and quarrel. This is the beginning. He's getting ready to talk about prayer, talk about supplication, but he starts with what you do. This is what we do without prayer. Is we don't have, so we kill to take it. We covet and cannot obtain, so we fight and quarrel. So when we don't pray, we see the things that we want, and we fight for them and ruin lives and relationships over and over again. That's on the flesh side. He says that, and then he's saying, hey, you wanted something you don't have because you don't ask. And I had to include this because I don't think God is a universal genie that we get to rub that lamp and he gives us 
whatever we ask for. If, if that's not true, and we can ask over and over again, and what I think he'll do for us is he'll give us what we really need. Or he'll change our hearts to realize what we're asking for wasn't good for us. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Come on, 90s country. I don't like country music, but I cannot get that song out of my head. If you don't know it, don't worry about it. Um, number uh, Verse 3, it says, you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Like I'm reading this book on prayer, which I'm going to name at the end, because I think one of the things that we can do to increase our prayer life is to to study it and to talk about it and read books about it, because it it challenges us to pray. And one of the things that we have to do in prayer is we have to figure out what we actually want. Sometimes we throw these very vague things. God, make me happy. What does that mean? Instead of clarifying, hey, God, this is what I want, and being honest about it. I was driving around the other day, and um, actually last Monday, I was driving around in this truck when I was out delivering things, and I'm, I'm listening to this book on prayer, and, um, and he was talking about clarifying some of the things that we're not even asking because we're not even thinking what we really want. And so I started being really honest to be like, this is what I want. And after I said why I want it, like that I want this, I told God, I want it partially for selfish reasons. And guess what the first thing I asked for? I want a building, people. I want a building. I want our own place. I I selfishly want that because, like, I don't know if you've been here afterwards, but this room doesn't look like this, and it takes work to get here, and and it's not ours. And so then we'll have to worry about someone calling me during the week going, we broke something or we did this. And I, I want, I want a building. And I said, God, I want a building. And I, there's a building that I specifically want. Um, and I'm like, I want this building, but I God, I want you to know that at the beginning of me asking, I'm asking some of it is just for me selfishly, because it would make some things of our life easier as a church. But you know what? Is that building going to save anybody? Nope. What happens in that building may save people, but the building won't save people. And I'm just trying to be real honest about why I want the things that I want. So God can can shape and mold my heart to go, hey, Heath, this isn't even what you want. Because I I, I confess, like, this may be a detriment to us. Some good things that we come up to aren't good for us. And God knows that they're not good for us. And he says... No. So we have to move to a place that we can trust him with the outcome, with thanksgiving. That's the last thing. So prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, we can be content and thankful with whatever God wisely and lovingly gives us. So we we can literally thank him that any way this goes, you're doing something good for me. And that's hard to believe. And, and you're thinking, well, you don't know my scenario. I don't. But I know me. And I know what I've gone through. And it may not be what you've gone through. But I understand the best way for us to live is trusting God with what he's doing. Because either, and here's a big word, 
probably need, just need to do a whole sermon on the sovereignty of God. Either God is sovereign or he's not. Either God is working things to his end and our good. Because his end will always be our good. Because he's wiser than we are. He knows what's going on. And if we could get in places that we could lay it on the ground and say, God, this is yours. I don't know where this is going, but I trust you that when things happen in the future, I'm going to tell myself, you're doing good for you and for me. Verse 7. This is the benefit of living in this place that we constantly prayer, we constantly asking, and we're doing it with a thankful heart. Verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what it does. If... You would get into this, and it's not going to be, it's not going to like just take off and your first prayer request is going to be answered, you know, 23 hours later. But if we can get to this place, the peace that passes all understanding can be ours, and Jesus Christ will guard our hearts against everything else that wants to rob from us, take from us. And who doesn't want this? Anybody in this room that struggles with anxiety, if you had the offer of peace, I mean like peace, peace, stillness, peace, who wouldn't want that? And, and I'm just telling you, this is a process of God changing us. And look what he says, it isn't specifically about prayer, but I think it changes us in verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This changes our cycle of fear, anxiety, and helps rewire our brain. I'm just telling you, personal experience. Can I I say crap? I already did, so like, if if we let crap in, what's going to flow out of us? And at some point, we have to because if we're going to let these other things in, if we're going to think about these other time, other things, these good and honorable, spend time with them, we have to say no to other things. And so part of this is just honestly, if we would begin to selectively choose the things that we filter in, and this is, I know I talk about this a lot, but social media is destroying your brain. I, I got off uh, Facebook, um, and I'm on there. I actually, I, my birthday was yesterday. I went on last week and, and went into Facebook and put it so you couldn't see that it was my birthday yesterday. Because um, my account's still there. I have a little picture that says I'm not on, and my, I wrote something on my wall apologizing if people are trying to get in touch with me and said, hey, here's another venue that you can get me through. But... I didn't want people writing on the wall and thinking, man, I wrote something really nice, Steve, and he didn't even respond. I had somebody text me yesterday, 
be like, happy birthday, even though you wouldn't respond to my DM. I didn't have them on my phone. I was like, for one, who is this? And for two, where did you DM me? Because if it's Facebook, I'm not there. Uh, Instagram, I don't have on my phone. I still check it, but I only check it through my computer. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, but let me just tell you, um, my emotional health has gone up dramatically since I've stopped. Because I'm telling you, even if you're not, even if it's 50%, of, okay, okay. Even if 80% of what you do on those sites are good, which that's debatable, 20% will bring you down. All it takes is the wrong little whatever piece, and this could be political, this could be church-related, this could be whatever, could bring you into this cycle of fear and anxiety. And I, I just don't have time for it. And what's funny is I, since um, Instagram not being on my phone has been since January, and I'll, I'll, um, log, I'll put it on my phone to post something, and then I'll delete it. Which is funny. I mean, I can do it on my computer, but it's just difficult to do that. And like, I don't know how many times, like, I'll just forget about it and it's there. And I'm like, oh, I'll get a little notification. And I'm like, delete. <laughs> um, the Apple store is like, what is going <laughs> What's wrong with this guy? Because <laughs> I don't know how many times I've added it and deleted it and added it and deleted it. And, um, and it's not on my phone right now. Because um, I don't want it there. And so if you're going to change your mindset, you have to change what you put in. And some of that is social media. Some of that is what you watch on TV. Some of that is the people that you are around. I mean, we have, we have people in our lives. And now, let me go back. Let me read this again. Let your reasonable be known, reasonableness, gentleness be known to everybody. This isn't... Pastor Heath's permission to be rude and disrespectful to people. I don't need you in my life. But some people in your life, you don't need them in your life. And maybe that's for a season while you get through whatever you're going through. But there are times in our life that we just have to say, God, I I need you. So I, I want things to be filtered in me. And we have to say no to something so that we can say yes to something. And at the beginning of this journey of Jesus being greater, we came to this place of going, God, if you're going to be greater, I have to be in the word. And so I, I say that we're talking about prayer, but I, I encourage you as you get into prayer life, don't forget because the scripture will help you pray. There are literally apps for it. Okay, let me read this Psalms 100. Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. And we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. So here you, you may have thought, oh, man, I had to move this pencil, or not pencil, pen, and this blank note card. Oh, my gosh, what's he going to make me do? So here's, here's your homework. We can't talk about prayer and go, hey, you should pray, go. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give you two things to do, two assignments. 
The first one is I want you to take this card. You don't have to do it today because I'm going to tell you three things to do before you come up with what you're going to put on this. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take this card and I'd I'd like you to write three to five things that you're going to pray for every day this week. All I'm asking for is seven days. Three to five things. And, And here's the three things to do with that. As you're thinking through these, I want you to do three things. I want you to be childlike. Don't get all religious like, oh, I can't ask for that. You know, like if you're asking for a million dollars and you don't have a good reason for that million dollars, I'd like a million dollars because buildings are really expensive. (laughs) Not me personally, but the church. Uh, And, you know, so be childlike with it as you're thinking like, God, what's in my heart? Like, what do you want me to have? Be childlike. Uh, My second qualifier is that is be honest. Be real honest. It may be personal. It may be relational. It may be work-related. But be honest. Don't be like, hey, God, make me happy. Make my, you know, give me a promotion. Why do you want a promotion? Be honest. And the last thing, so be childlike, be honest. And this is the very important one. Be clear. Clarify what you're asking for. Don't be vague. Vague prayers are very hard to see whether they've been answered or not. Clear prayers are very easy to see God move. And let me go ahead and make you a promise. Some people in this room will see God move this week. If you do this. Not everyone. So this isn't a promise that if you pray these three things, everything, God's going to respond. But I will say at the end of seven days, if you allow him, he'll change you. And maybe, because really, seven days, if a thousand years is but a day to the Lord, how long is seven days? <laughs> so my heart is, in this seven days, is that you'll go, hey, this is something beneficial to me. And get in. So that, that's task number one that I'd like you to do. And if you're so bold, here's task number two. Every day, uh, during your prayer time... I want you to write 10 to 20 things that you're thankful for. Because if, if, with Thanksgiving, the reason why we're not thankful is because all we think about is the negative. And this could be, you might spend one day just thinking about your spouse, spouse all the things I'm thankful for. Because sometimes all we can think about is how annoying they are. And let me just tell you, they're not as annoying as you think they are. Because that's what you see. But if you begin to fix yourself on like how great they are in doing this. But so my encouragement, and you could, you could make that fix 10 things that you want to, you're thankful for your spouse every day. But I want 10 to 20 things every day when you pray over your three to five things. I want you to just write. And they don't, it doesn't matter. Like just, it could be like the sky. Because I think it'll change you. I think if you go, hey God, I thank you that you planted me in here. I thank you. For the health of my children. I mean, it's so easy. And if you're like 10 to 20 things, come on. Yeah, it might be something that you just do for hours. Because if you literally begin to write the things that you're grateful for, it'll change you because you'll begin to see how good God is to you. Here's two bonus things. I know it's two. Um, bonus number one, prayer tomorrow night, 7 to 8 here. You don't have to do anything. You can come, be in this room, and you don't have to say a word. But you can come and pray with us here in this room, 7 to 8, tomorrow night. Bonus number two, uh, read a book on prayer. 
if you're just like, man, I, I, you know, like uh, prayers, you know, here's one that I, a group that I'm in is reading. It's called A Praying Life by Paul E. Miller. It's on Amazon, A Praying Life. Very simple. He talks about a lot of this thing, and it's probably the best book, and I've not read a ton of books on prayer, but probably the best book on prayer I've read because it actually makes me want to pray because I read it, and then I want to pray. Sometimes we read things and we're like, oh, like I'm not there. I don't get this and whatever. It's very simple, very like there's chapters are real short. And they they every time I open the book or listen to the book. I close the book and I want to pray. So beneficial. If that's not a book for you, find a different book. But bonus number three. Billy Graham wrote this and we're going to close. We are to pray in times of adversity. Least we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity, least we become boastful and proud. We are to pray in times of danger, least we become fearful and doubting. We are to pray in times of security, least we become self-sufficient. Pray. You want to change your life? You want to change this relationship that you have with Jesus? It will not happen Without prayer. And so my encouragement to you is not to guilt you that you haven't prayed. I don't care if you haven't prayed in three years. I don't care if you haven't thought about prayer in the last month. My goal for you today is to think about it and start praying. Because prayer will change you. And listen to me. This is selfish on my end. If it changes you, it'll change people around you. If it changes people around you, it'll affect our city. And that's what we want. That's what this church is here for, is to influence and affect people that walk in our doors so that we can change you or help change you, help working in the changing of you so that when you're out of here, God can do things through you that we can't do without you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite our worship team back up and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to burn in us a desire this week To seek his face. To pray. And and don't, I I mean, maybe God gives you your three to five things before you leave here. But here, here today, before you go to sleep tonight, spend some time thinking about those things. Because if you just like on a whim, just I want to see, you know, whatever. But you don't think about it. They won't be things that you're passionate about. But if you take a little time and go, God, what, what do I... And start asking your weird question. What do I want? You know what I want? I want to love God like he desires for me to love him. And I don't. Because when he says that we should love our Lord with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, there's no one in this room that's doing that perfectly. That's not a judgment. But I I want that. That's one of the things that I've been praying for. God, I want to love you like you deserve to be loved. And for that to happen, I have to change. And I want God to change me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just bind the enemy that would whisper in our ears that he is not there, he is not capable, he doesn't care, he's not going to do anything. Lord, we declare that that Psalms 100 that I just read, that you're here, that you're with us, 
that you're faithful throughout generations, not just with me. And Lord, we pray, I pray that you would give us generations out of the people that are in this room. That the inheritance that we give those that come after us would be an inheritance of faith. And that inheritance doesn't come without us walking and living in that faith. So Lord, I pray today as we close, as we walk out of here, maybe with blank little cards, that you would inspire us to ask you for the impossible. Lord, there's relationships that can and will be restored when we seek you, when we ask for you to do the impossible. There's things in our life, things that we cannot overcome, that you can bring transformation in. There's freedom from addiction. There's freedom from fear. There's freedom from anxiety in you. And we want to trust you, Lord. And Lord, we want to show our trust for you and in you through prayer. And so, Lord, I, awa- I pray that you would awaken in us this, this thing that you've put in us, a, a heart and a desire to connect with the Father. And I pray that you would do it in us and through us through prayer this week. Change us. Don't give us all the things that we want, but change us. And give us the things that we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.